1: so, my sister's in town for her baby shower. Wait, you don't, you're an only child though, right? Um, but Megan, Marco, uh, is my sister. Oh, right, yes. This is your common sister, knowledge. Megan. Yes.
2: Okay, okay. But like, she's she's in the city? Yeah, she's in the city with her best friends. But she's heavily pregnant. Girl has to be on her,
1: like, she should be on bed rest. Yeah, honestly, I was surprised because I didn't think you could fly at this point.
2: I mean, I think you can fly, like, up until the point. But, like, she's, like, carrying the second coming. So she's not allowed to just be, like, up and crossing oceans. Like, what? But if she
1: is going to cross an ocean. She definitely needs to come here because we have great snacks at Bustle. We have a bevy machine with many flavors. Pure, uh, if
2: she needs it to be pure. Well, I mean, Jada, like you could be up there right now. Like, where's her baby shower? Get up there.
1: So it's at the Palace Hotel, but like, I'm the responsible sister. So as a responsible sister, I need to. You're holding this it podcast. down, making money.
2: Yes, <laughs> <All right. laughs> making making this money for the future, uh, Jada, future I think, king. <laughs> I think you need to go drop by your sister's baby shower, but I think so. um, I mean, first we do have a podcast to record. So <sighs> with that. Welcome to the Bustle Huddle. I am Anna. And I'm Megan's sister Jada. (laughs) And today we're
1: talking about black media. And we're going to be highlighting some of the publications that are just really killing it out there that are all over black Twitter and really explore how black issues and entertainers are covered within black media and the way that they're covered with mainstream media. And then we're also going to talk about the experience of being a black journalist
2: In media, which is a whole... Something you know a lot about. Yes, something I know a little bit about. And this is part of your package, Black and Thriving, right? Yes. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so
1: Black and Thriving is basically launching in Black History Month, but it's going to live way beyond then. And it's a package that's celebrating um, cultural traditions of Black culture. So the music, our wedding traditions like Jumping the Broom. And I actually... Got to interview Lenny Kravitz. When Ooh. I went to the Bahamas
2: to about kind of black learn about thriving,
1: one. right? I am out here. Black and Thriving,
2: literally. Megan thank you, in Bustle. Town. Oh, your sister's in town?
1: <laughs> My sister's here. She's royalty. Yeah. Literally thriving.
2: And this isn't just for February, right? It's going to keep on going? Black and Thriving? Yes.
1: It's launching in February, but, you know, Black history and Black culture is
2: a 24-7 thing, so it's going to live well outside of February. I'm really impressed with it, and I'm excited to see you continue to thrive. Well, and thank you. So with that, what are we talking about first in this week's episode? So first up... Going to be talking
1: to two of my favorite journalists who have become very dear friends of mine, Christina Coleman and Danielle Kwating. And we're going to be talking about the experiences of working in black media and then also our experience in mainstream media. And most importantly, here, I think we talk about why it's so important for black women journalists to find their safe space among other black female journalists
2: because they definitely hold me down day in and day out. And I want to stress that this interview is for everybody. This is for everyone who is ever reading a profile on, say, like Cardi B and really wants to think about, like, who's the writer that they chose to write that story? um, How are your favorite artists covered? And how are they covered by different publications? Absolutely. I encourage all of you to listen because it's great. Plus, if you're like me and you didn't know what La Chancla was... Listen up! Oh yes,
1: abuelas love chanclas. You'll get to learn all about them in this interview. (laughs) All right, let's go. I've got Christina Coleman here, and I've got Danielle Clark here. So I'm
3: gonna let you, brilliant ladies, intro your amazing selves. Okay. Well, I'm Christina Coleman at Chrissy Cole on Twitter and Instagram. You can call me Tina. Don't go by Chrissy, which is really weird because that's my (laughs) social media handle. But um, I am a journalist. I'm an editor. I'm a digital content creator. And a star. Oh, you're a star. For real. Really good. For real. Um, Thank you.
0: Um, I am Danielle. Um, I also go by Danny. Um, I am the senior culture editor at Broadly, which is Vice's um, Identities Vertical, um, and I cover music, television, and film um, through, you know, the lens of just conscious, woke, um, you know, dope people. That's what I do.
1: Mm-hmm. So off the mic, we were talking a bit about Meghan Markle, but I wanted to flip over to the Bronx's princess, Cardi B, <laughs> who looks like Rapunzel on the cover of Harper's Bazaar. Yeah, yes, she does. She really does. She does. Rapunzel, she does with the Rapunzel right? Nice, yeah. nice segue, like Jada. Yeah. I was, I was <laughs> waiting. Ooh. I was waiting for my moment. <laughs>
3: Wait, perfect.
1: So, yeah, I know for me... I've loved Cardi um, when I was actually wor- working at a Latinx publication and Cardi B was still on Love and Hip Hop. There was definitely like a generational divide in that office because we're like, we really need to put her on the cover. Like, this is the person. And we had traditionally. Too. We yeah. Had, yeah, <laughs> yeah, We had traditional um, white Latinx Um <laughs> cover stars and so putting someone on love and hip-hop was like whoa even though the whole office wanted to Mm. and now it's flipped the girl's on harper she's got a grammy but i think what kind of rubs me the wrong way is that growing up in new york knowing a lot of women like cardi who are they're just raw and they're bronx and they've got full hearts and yes they go to these like nail shops and they talk their crap and they've got like the old like Chinese food calendars that's always like on her Instagram that I love like <laughs> this is like a re- this, this is a real person and I feel like I'm noticing people laughing at her where it's not really a joke um, and it really rubs me the wrong way so I wanted to get
3: your thoughts on the way Cardi is Ooh. covered. Ooh. GQ did a really amazing feature on Cardi think it was last year where Cardi goes in and talks about how people don't take her seriously and that you know English is her second language and I think that that was like nuance that was necessary and that people needed to know because they tease her a lot or make fun of her and laugh at her for the way that she speaks and the way that she writes and with no regard to the fact that she is bilingual and we haven't really had a a a superstar in the music world who presents like Cardi and who is out up front and, you know, who engages with people on social media like Cardi. And so we get to see a lot more of the real her. Mm -hmm. And so when people, you're right, people do laugh at her. People do, and it's like, actually, I think that she's really serious in this moment. Right. Yeah. Like she's not, this isn't a joke. Right.
1: Like on the Grammys when she was talking about getting her, um, Videos for invasion of privacy out before she started showing. There were lots of snickers in the audience, and I'm like, no, like what she's saying is something that so many pop stars, Beyonce's probably gone through this. Like, I mean, she did with Four and Blue, so it's like, like, hey guys, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I
0: think American media doesn't know what to do with Afro-Latinas. I think it's one of those things when you don't know what to do. Your natural reaction is to laugh and think of it as a joke. But I think that we really are still kind of trying to figure out how, what box to put in. You know, I think of like Amara La Negra and like, you know, a lot of people didn't even know that Afro Latina or Afro Latinx was like a thing. Yeah. Which is like bizarre to me coming from South Florida. Right. And like, that's like like, all all I've ever known in New York. Y'all didn't, it's literally like Afro, like, break up the words. We're trying to figure out what box she, you know, is she hood? Is she nuanced? Is she, you know, is she hip-hop? Is she pop? Is she, you know, is she comedy? Is she serious when she talks about political issues? Mm -hmm. Is she trying to be funny when she talks about political? Like, when she was talking about, you know, the the government shutdown and was breaking that down, you know, this isn't Rachel Maddow talking about it. No, but, like, her comprehension of the
3: subject is very clear. My favorite Cardi trivia is that she's obsessed with U.S. presidents. Mm. Yes. I I just love that Mm -hmm. about her so much. And she can break it down. Which is another thing. This woman is brilliant. And I Mm -hmm. think that just media overall, we, you know, we don't, I I guess the word I'm looking for is like we delegitimize her Mm -hmm. because of the way she delivers, of her delivery. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of across the board, I don't care what color you are in media, there's a lot of respectability politics at play there. Oh, yes. And I would like to see us create a real like narrative around Cardi B I'd like to see her humanity because that that plays into her longevity like she's not a prop
1: I think the respectability Mm. politics part of this that you said is so brilliant across all the all the boards because you know growing up being a black Puerto Rican from New York I know so many Cardi B's who are Yes, they are hood and they will dog walk you if you need to be mm-hmm. dog walked. Then they also do care about politics and they yep. do have Rachel Maddow on all the time and they they this is someone who exists mm-hmm. in her world and I would love for people to validate her in the way that they would validate me. Yeah. So I think that we need to really just remember that she is she is So many people.
3: She is really America. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to bring up a point because I remember it playing out in real time and me thinking, like, rolling my eyes so hard when Taylor Swift came out with, like, one IG post and was like, I'm political now. (laughs) Yes. After all this time that I've been quiet about (laughs) everything and have basically your silence is, you know, you being complicit, but whatever. That's a whole other podcast. And... (laughs) Cardi B is on IG every day yes. spitting real knowledge and truth Cetus. about, you know. Issues. Yeah, things. issues yeah. and, like, you know.
0: At the risk of her money, too. At, yeah, yeah. She and didn't do the Super Bowl. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, she she's did not. Do, down yeah, she's
3: literally turning down yeah. money and she gets on, you know, IG with, like, Sometimes done up, her makeup, sometimes don't even have eyelashes on. And it's like, <laughs> listen, this is the real deal. Yeah. And it was so interesting because after Taylor Swift came out, I remember there was this like exodus of, of young people going to go sign up to vote. And it, for me, spelled out this, it, for me, highlighted this way that we like validate the Taylor Swifts. Cardi B's out here every day. Trying to tell her audience that this is important, Mm -hmm. and we don't see see that same type of rallying around her. People are like, we don't really need to hear from Cardi B. I
0: wanted to say something, though, one more um, before we move on um, about the respectability politics note that Christina made. Um, We did something after the Harper's Bazaar sort of incident with Nikki about the shoe throwing, Mm. um, and we focused on the power of the chancla. You know, the chancleta, Yay. your your sandal, that is a very, like, again, Afro-Latina, Afro-Latinx thing. For that piece, I, I found a girl, a Dominican, you know, Afro-Latina, Dominican girl from Chicago to write the piece for me. And she explained sort of the history of it and the context of it. So while you might think, you know, from the outside perspective that it's just some horrible derogatory thing... In Cardi's mind, it's like, this is, you're disrespecting me. Mm -hmm. This is, I'm threatening you in this way that's, you know, native, natural to her. This is why it's important to have people from communities by which you're talking about write about the pieces that we're talking about. Specifically when it comes to marginalized communities. You have to tap writers, journalists, people in that space to talk about it. Otherwise, it's cultural tourism and you're talking about something you don't know nothing about.
1: I'm so glad you so, brought that up because yeah. that was definitely one of my questions for you guys. The importance of pairing the right writers with the right story. So from that specific community and how important that is. I feel like when you are um, a person of color in a mainstream publication, there is this and this has happened to me in previous jobs where it's like oh well you know she's latin she can definitely talk about this thing about immigration it's like well actually no my family is from puerto rico so we that's a blind spot of mine i can't speak about that me having the wherewithal to say that's not something that i can opine on because it's not my experience and like all of our experiences are not monolithic and i remember the first person who really like put his foot down about having a black writer write about him was prince for in style like he would not do the cover story unless he had a black writer oh, shout Christmas. out to my man
3: love you him you guys have no idea jada jada is obsessed with prince i love <laughs> prince we'll never forget the day that prince we were, died yes oh my gosh
1: i thought it was really cool that someone who was People tried to pigeonhole and move mm-hmm. away from his blackness. Was like, no, I need a black writer to write this story. So, I guess just to piggyback off that, and RIP Prince, I love you. um But I know for the three of us, that's a very, very important thing Absolutely. for us to find the right writers. Absolutely.
3: I think diversity is a buzzword, obviously. Oh, yes. There's all these, like, oh, let's be diverse, let's have a diversity, like, I don't know office Panels. and p- panel <laughs> and committee and no one ever talks about inclusion and I think Ava DuVernay talk, talked about this I think it was maybe last year or the year before about how these two things are different mm-hmm. it's like not enough to to be diverse you have to be inclusive and that means valuing other people's stories and letting them tell their stories retention and mainstream newsrooms is terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People don't feel like they matter because there's there's no representation, there's no inclusion of those stories, and oftentimes the person of color or the person of a, of a dif- of a different identity is thrown these stories, and then <laughs> thus has to hold the responsibility of everybody else who's not white. Yes, mm. and it's a lot mm. of pressure. Yes, it's irresponsible, and you don't want to let people down. So you're like, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Yes. But it's just too much pressure, and it's not. It really isn't the responsibility of said journalist or editor to try to tell everyone's stories. It is really the responsibility of these newsrooms and people who run them to get more voices on the staff period point blank agreed and I think that in terms
0: of from like a reader's perspective I think it adds two things right so it adds um, for me authenticity right so if you're talking about something you're from the community by which they're talking you're talking about there's a sense of like ownership in the sense you know it well right and then to trust you know you cannot send people from communities by which they're not from in there and speak to that narrative so I don't trust it yeah right so I think you know it's becoming very clear especially in these times of like fake news and people just reading headlines and all that that in order to you know best tell these stories you need people from those communities it got it's got to be like it's just top of line, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: I think that there is this notion that black writers can only write about their trauma and that's because we do feel that (sighs) um, kind of like pressure with our platforms to speak about the issues of our communities, but that is very, very taxing. And I felt that a lot with um, surviving R. Kelly, kind of like leading the charge here at Bustle, um, and then just getting to a place where, um, which is kind of like the precipice for black and thriving. I'm just like, I want to create a space where black journalists do not have to always tap into their trauma. I would love to, you know, just have your thoughts on, what it is to actually be a black journalist at the front lines of news activism and, like, just how taxing that is because I Mm -hmm. think people don't get it.
3: It's uh, – I actually am taking a a little bit of a break from newsrooms. Which I'm really happy that you are. Yeah, it's interesting because I've spent the last seven years literally, like – just all in on politics and, it's you know, social issues and just news. And a lot of that, the bulk of that has really been like trauma porn. You know, mm. I'm a black woman and this person got killed by the police. And so we have to put all of our resources behind it to do that. But then at the next day, somebody else gets killed. The next day, you know, a black woman gets, you know, murdered. Uh, someone's in jail. Now we have to do just enjoy it. We have to do it. It's, it's, it's taxing it's a lot and it's the black tax that we <laughs> we have to pay for being journalists in this world I want to add to the conversation and not, not create more noise around it mm. so what are we actually doing like how can we be advocacy journalists because it's not enough to say that watch this video of this black trauma happening like what are we actually doing to tell the story so that this doesn't happen again you know or to make a true impact we have to start thinking about that um but i'm taking a little break <laughs> um and i'm actually be i'm i'm actually at a point now where i'm able to tell like stories about black women as a whole like the fullness of them being women and it's really amazing for me um and i would and that's why like diversity and inclusion in newsrooms is is very very important um because if you have more, let's say you have more Black women on the staff, right? We're not just focused on the the story about Nia Wilson. We're also making sure that we're inclusive of. We're talking about hairstyles mm-hmm. that, like, we will add some box braids, and maybe like a I don't know, some corn rolls, and like a TWA mm-hmm. in the in the in the fold. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it's really really important that we have more people of color of and of different identities in newsrooms, so that we don't have to deal with that like black text of trauma like that's not the go-to when it comes to like oh we have to we you know we have to you know tick off the box of like you know black stories for the for the week Mm -hmm. the black story this week is somebody getting shot yeah Yeah. TK name, right tk name became a hashtag and jada you have to write this story because you're black obviously Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like no that's not that's not that's not what being black in america is all about Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: So, Danielle, I specifically wanted to talk to you about this since you are, you've are you covered entertainment for a bit. We used to cover it together. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to kind of get your gauge on someone like a Cardi who was just like underground, you know, people of color were rocking with her for a while. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, Cardi bodak yellow have you heard (laughs) this new song or like um despacito is another one i was like jesus Uh. um what goes through your head when somebody that you've been covering for so long (laughs) makes it into the pop culture lexicon because i know i get a little frustrated i'm like black people have been here like i've yeah. been there what, what are you doing you know what
0: <laughs> it's i think for all of us because i remember even like christina and me, we we've been following i think all three of us have been following cardi since she would lead the strip club and do her yeah. videos on ig like long time so um for me it's an eye roll obviously i get frustrated um but i think that we're used to it in the sense that black People are the arbiters of culture in mm-hmm. America, period. Yeah. So we're used – we're very much used to, you know, something that we've invented being taken, flipped, gentrified, and pushed for mainstream palette. Mm-hmm. It's annoying, but it's – th- I'm just used to it. Maybe I'm just a little bit more yeah. sort of – I don't, I don't want to say passive, but I'm just like – I'm used to people not being hip to it. And so I'm quick to be like, actually – this has been relevant
3: for a while. For a while, yeah. Yeah. It is a little <laughs> frustrating, though, because, yeah. like, black people will, we can sing Sweet Caroline at a baseball game and then still do the swag serve. You know, and <laughs> I feel like other, like yes. I feel like if you are, uh, you know, not black, or, like, from, if you're white, you might not be able to, like, make that transition very, like, seamlessly. And I don't think that's fair that we have to be, both experts in our culture and everyone else's culture yeah and that's a big
1: newsroom philosophy of mine um Mm -hmm. is that I believe that you know when I was starting out and I was at People I would do a red carpet with I'd have to be able to do a red carpet with like a Taylor Swift or a Jake Gyllenhaal or a Greta Gerwig and I feel like what has happened over years is that it's like oh so you're going to, we're going to do something on Yvonne Orgy. And it's like, okay, let's send our black reporter. It's like, no, actually you have Google and you can also (laughs) figure out those same questions. We're not holding that journalism standard across the board.
0: Well, let me say something too, though, actually, that just ticked the box for me. As much as I do feel like it is important to have more inclusion in newsrooms, like we talked about, I also do want to make sure that I'm being clear that these white journalists do their education, and get their education as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. It yeah. should not be the yeah. burden of knowledge and learning and, and, you know, mining our communities really mm-hmm. for content yeah. shouldn't be on us.
1: Absolutely. You know? And, you know, and I had, I a, I had yeah. a really great conversation a little while ago with um, a white civil rights reporter from like the 60s, and it really made that what I had just said a mandate in my own newsroom because you know like even though he didn't have the black experience he was reporting on it from a third you know like an objective opinion he wasn't putting it wasn't an identity essay or an identity cultural piece he was doing he was just reporting on the news and I think that we really need to make that a standard across the board so that black journalists are not only covering their trauma but they're only covering the artists that become their artists because mm-hmm. it's a black artist. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there are certain things that you can do as a reporter even if you are not right. of the color because, again, like I said, there's no way I could go into, like, a Hollywood reporter and say, well, I'm sorry, I don't cover Jake Hall
3: because I don't know anything. It's like, no, you Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh chow <laughs> No, but that's, like, what white journalists are afforded. Like, I, yeah. we've all worked at, we worked at, like, every media company ever. Yes. And I feel like we've all, the three of us, have been in a position where we are at a table in a conference room, and something of color comes up, and the whole room turns to look at you. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's insane. Absolutely. And you're like, listen, I got enough on my plate. I had, you know, I have y'all gave me the police shooting, so now I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go do that. Like, I, I don't can't have, do party. You gotta do party. And I'm right. The right.
1: Awards right. and I the police shooting <laughs> that just happened. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank I think you. that Thanks you were just so us. brilliant. And please come back. Like, we can just work here in the pod. Turn this work. off. We're going to continue this we'll conversation.
3: We're going to do
2: this, right? <laughs> yeah. So, JD, you managed to get a lot off your chest in that interview. Was it cathartic?
1: Yeah, it felt really great. I mean, nothing is better than. Talking with your colleagues turned great friends in our lovely orange podcast room. (laughs) What's not to love? Next up, we call another one of your dear friends, correct? Yes. Yes. We're going to be talking to Ja, who is the associate editor at Bossip. Ja Lee. Ja Lee. Yes. Jolly. Jolly job ja. <laughs> Oh wow. <laughs> <We didn't laughs> Sorry <that> Ja. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well um, what are we going to talk to Ja
1: about? So we're going to talk a little bit about those headlines that got written up by places like the New York Times and Wired and we're also going to get to learn a little bit about where he gets his news from and it may be surprising.
2: Excellent. Well I had a lot of fun talking to him and I hope you guys have fun listening. So let's play the interview.
1: So hey Ja, welcome to the pod. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here. Hey,
4: what's going on, guys?
1: Because it's just really cool that I get to like talk to my friends yeah. <laughs> in this episode. It's like so great. Hanging with the home podcast. Yes. So first things first, I wanted to talk with you about one of my favorite things that happened in the past couple of years, and that's boss getting written up by the New York Times about your amazing headlines. <laughs> is there a word or yeah. phrase that you guys came up with? That always makes you chuckle i know i have a billion of them
4: i just think we have a good sense of humor and we don't really mind just being ridiculous or being jerks when it's time to be a jerk or when it's you know there's a lot of politicians who are saying crazy things and doing crazy things and the world is only getting crazier and crazier and more offensive and more out mm-hmm. there sure the washington post is going to write about these things in a certain way and you know, quote unquote, journalists who are going to write about these things in a way that reflects that. But the people feel more, probably more raw about it, or more angry about it, or wanted to talk about it in ways that aren't buttoned up and that aren't politically Mm -hmm. correct, necessarily, or that are just a little bit more, I don't know, emotionally raw (laughs) than how Mm -hmm. most media sites would talk about things. And plus, we just like to have jokes and have fun
2: so for for people out there listening who aren't boss breeders, for future boss breeders, could you tell us what this formula is as much as you can?
4: Um, I'll be really honest with you. People ask that or people say that on Twitter yeah. and people think that it's like a algebra equation that you just kind of like plug in <laughs> okay. variables and numbers and divide. But to be honest with you, a lot of it just comes from looking at the situation and trying to find either um, tangential topics that kind of relate to it or things that are relevant in pop culture or just other terms, other words that just make, I guess, add flavor to what the the topic is. Um, the example that I use in the New York Times was my Taylor Swift headline. So when Taylor Swift covered uh, Earth, Wind & Fire September, I woke up that morning <laughs> The whole Twitter timeline was going crazy about the fact (laughs) that Taylor Swift had desecrated this great black song that people love, that the aunties and grandmas love. And
1: it's an auntie song. It's an
4: auntie song. It's like the ultimate auntie song. (laughs) And people were very upset that she had the audacity to touch this song. I'm.
2: I'm very upset. <laughs> you, you know, I, my, you if you see can see okay. my face right now, I didn't know. What?
4: Yeah. No, <laughs> she yeah. dared? She dared okay. to touch September. So, you know, people were upset about that. And in that moment, I think with the headlines, the thing we like to say amongst ourselves is that if it takes too long or if, you know, it gets to the point where you're trying too hard. And mm. what we like to do is not try really too hard to come up with something crazy just kind of let it come to you i mean i guess the only thing i can liken it to is you know how jay-z will say you know he doesn't write his raps it's kind of Mm -hmm. like that where it's like you know what the subject is and i'm just gonna say this thing i want to just talk about it in this way and i think with the taylor swift thing the uh the Teddy Perkins episode of Atlanta had just recently come on, maybe like the week before or something like that. Oh, what a time.
1: Oh, Teddy Perkins.
4: Right. So there was this opportunity of like, okay, well, what can I call Taylor Swift? What is, what is a disgusting thing that I can use that also represents the fact that like here is this like a cookie cutter, all American white girl singing like this, great black song that people love and so like the soft boiled ostrich egg reference just seemed like the right thing to do so I'm like, okay you know what i want to call taylor swift a soft boiled ostrich egg and it was just that quick like there wasn't really a lot of extra thought that went into it it just felt right at the time and so i went with it is
1: there like a is there like a word or phrase that just like always makes you chuckle that you guys came up with
4: so on fox news there was one of the Fox News hosts was talking about, I forget what the overall subject was, but he said something about, he hasn't washed his hands in like 10 years.
3: Oh no, that's what it was, no, that's
4: what it was. He was talking, I think it was an anti-vaccination topic or panel they were having. And he was saying about, you know, how he doesn't believe in germs. And I guess there was like some food on set. And someone made a comment about, you're going to grab it with your hands. And, oh, I don't believe in germs. I haven't washed my hands in 10 years, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it went on on this whole thing. And I think what Danny said was something about Staphylococcus. And those are just certain words where you're not <laughs> expecting to hear the word Staphylococcus in an entertainment gossip headline about some crazy political thing that happened on Fox News. And so I think that just using, uh, I guess like the TI vocabulary and and like taking words that people just don't expect to hear in certain uh, settings, I think makes it shocking and probably a little bit more fun and a little bit more depth to it. I mean, what we're doing isn't like brain surgery or like wildly important to the world, right? But at the same time, I think there is some level of thought or intelligence that goes into it to where, you know, whether we do alliteration or uh, make up a word or make up an adjective. Whatever level of art there is to it, I think people Mm -hmm. who read us appreciate that.
1: It's the truth. One of the other things I wanted to talk about too, um, I used to be in Black media, Mm -hmm. um, and when you look at the numbers, I feel like people always assume that Black media is consumed primarily by Black people. But whenever you look at any of our demographics, the numbers are kind of like 60-40, 60 Black and 40 non-Black users. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that.
4: There have definitely been, uh, white people reading the site, even more mm-hmm. so now. Um, since our profile has risen, I mean, there's even more white people, especially I find that white professionals and mm-hmm. other white media professionals have really taken a liking to us. I know that Jordan Peele's wife, uh, Chelsea Peretti, uh, comedian mm-hmm. Chelsea Peretti, she's been a huge fan of Boston for years now. She retweets us mm-hmm. and she engages with us all the time. Uh, I know that as as our, our stories go more viral, I see more and more white journalists following us, MSNBC journalists, and CNN mm-hmm. and newspaper people, and then you just get regular house mob. They, they just see the headlines, and it, I guess you know the way Twitter's algorithm is now. It's built to you know share more of what's popular at the time. Stuff shows up on your timeline from people that you may not be following. And I feel like as we get more popular, we get more exposed to that mainstream culture. And it's white mainstream America is definitely not in the minority of gossip readers.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah. I like, as you can see from my photo, I am very, very, very white um, <laughs> from North Carolina. <laughs> like, couldn't get any whiter. And I've been reading, I've been reading BOSIP, Shade Room. I've been like on the Lipstick Alley Forum for years and years mm-hmm. and like loving it. And so yeah, that was definitely a question of mine. It's like I don't have any guilt for reading the content because it's it's good, and that's what brought me there to begin with. Is that it's actually just good quality content and it's hilarious. But then I also realize I'm like that's it's not written for me. And so there's always a little bit of a I don't know, it's just I guess I want to ask just how do you feel about that?
4: Um well, there was a there was an article that was written in uh, Wired about us. We just woke up one oh, day and there was this article and it was written by a black man. But the thing that he pointed out was that uh, something that he acknowledged, it was very astute that we don't necessarily, we are writing specifically to our audience. We're, we're we are talking directly to black people and, you know, minorities, but it's not, Um. It's not to not be inclusive. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. if you know, you know. And if yeah, you're not Black yeah. and you understand this culture and you know about the things that are going on, then you read this, you'll read the content and you it'll make sense to you, you'll understand it. And even if you don't understand it, you might have some context for where some of these things came from. And that's kind of the model that we've tried to stick with is just, we're gonna talk to the people who we are talking to and everyone else is more than welcome to listen
1: and I feel like that's such a like great way to kind of describe black culture in general like black culture has always been inclusive it's just a matter of this is something that we're creating that if you are black you're gonna like you're gonna know Mm -hmm. but it's like if you also respect the culture or you respect the music or the celebrities it is for you too like if you're if you're down you're at the table yeah like we're you're, not gonna trip it if you, you. Right. yeah it's like if you're down and you're and you're about it and like you your intentions are good um and you're respecting the culture it's like more power to you, come yeah. on and join us. Yep. Um, and I think that black people really, really um, do that, especially within like media. It's just, it's like how we were raised. It's like, oh, you're down? Okay, cool. Welcome to the family. Yeah. You're all in here too. No, so. for sure.
2: It makes the whole case for something they were talking about earlier, which is like how a lot of these a lot of this work, especially work about black celebrities or hip hop artists, need to be written by like black writers and black editors because they have this cultural nuance that like mm-hmm. is really erased when you just take like give for example, like the way the Remy Ma and uh, Nicki Minaj mm-hmm. beef was like oh, covered by yeah. main yeah. covered by the mainstream was yeah. sad.
4: It was, really bad. it was really, really bad. Really bad. How do you yeah. feel
1: when you see stuff like that, Ja? Considering like you guys like you guys cover like Nikki and Cardi's brawls or like Nikki <laughs> Nikki's the common thread here. Um but whenever <laughs> there's like whenever there's an issue, like you guys kind of like have always been at the front line. So like when it does make um, you know, like a fashion, a high fashion publication, like it makes their site. How do you how do you feel about that?
4: Um I mean in, with certain stories and certain publications, it always feels cheap, right? I mean, we know that yeah,
2: empty. Yeah, it's
4: very empty. It's very just it's literally we're posting this because it is the trending topic on Twitter. Uh, our, our analytics told us that if we post this story, you know, this is something that will jumpstart our SEO for the day. And, you know, we'll be out the gate with, you know, talking about Cardi B. And we won't ever talk about Cardi B again until... There mm-hmm. another fight, or something else, you know, ridiculous happens, or something negative happens. I guess this is where we're at as far as the internet culture and the way news is shared. Um, it does feel good though that now, when these stories do break, our mentions are full of people demanding a headline like immediately, <laughs> immediately demanding a headline, like right now, right now, right now. So, it's like, it gave oh my me,
1: gosh,
4: it gave me an appreciation for people who have. Uh, you know, when a podcast is very popular and it drops on the same day and the same time and then for whatever reason it doesn't come out at that time and people are, like, losing their minds at their keyboard, yeah. like, where is it, where is it, where is it or an album's supposed to come out at a certain time and it doesn't drop at 12 o'clock we could only hope we <laughs> yeah. here
1: that's our that's our that's our 2019 <laughs> that's, goal yeah
4: that's the goal for the bustle huddle <laughs>
1: yes i need to, that bustle huddle at nine
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes you
4: said it was gonna be at nine it's 903 where is it like that's the kind of demand uh it's, it's turned into ja you were awesome thank you, thank where, you,
2: thank you. where can people find you
4: um, people can find me on twitter i am a uh, hip-hop obama on twitter it's all one all one word no dashes. hip-hop obama He's um, a really fun
1: ride. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's a fun <laughs> yeah, ride yeah, I, <laughs>
4: for sure. Yeah, if you get a little I,
1: bit of politics. You get some some jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some hip hop. Some hip hop history. Yeah, a little I to what I'm low. What say about
4: <laughs> everything. So yeah, that's where you can find me.
1: Well, it is always always a pleasure talking with you. I think you are amazing. You and are. I can't cool. wait to... I'm so proud of everything you guys are doing and keep making us laugh. <laughs> thank
4: you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate and, you guys. and having
1: me like uh, speaking for me when I can't. You know, be matched. So. Oh yeah, we, we are. Oh,
4: we are the voice of the people who need to keep themselves clean and away from the filth. Right. You be the filthy boy. you in the
2: What a service.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. It is Sounds all good. So Thank good. you, guys
2: huge thanks to everybody who came, you know, either to the studio or called us in for this week's episode. I had a lot of fun making it with you, Jaina.
1: Yes, this was so much fun. I mean, they're three of the smartest people you could ever talk to. So it's been really great. And I hope that you guys, our listeners, loved it as much as we did.
2: Yeah. And also heads up, there will be more Black and Thriving content throughout the year. So everybody um, look at that. It's uh, bustle.com forward slash what? Black and Thriving? Black and Thriving. Yes. You'll definitely want to keep tabs on
1: my journey finding more about my great grandmother in the Bahamas she was pretty cool so I'll be going back there for a couple more installments of the series Jada Investigates Jada Investigates her <laughs> family history edition. the Tropical Edition yeah. with a pina colada in hand oh my hand. god
2: the only way to investigate <laughs> right <laughs> and with that we are done thank you guys all for listening peace
1: The Bustle Huddle is produced by Anna Parsons and Michaela Heck with help and love from Roseanne Salvatore. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And definitely leave us your reviews on iTunes because we'd love to hear your feedback. You can also reach us at huddle at bustle.com. I'm your host, Jada Gomez.
2: And I'm Anna Parsons. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye.